Just before you get into the episode, I wanted to let you know that I've got a new novella available. It's called The Art of the Con. If you like stories like The Talent of Mr. Ripley, Nightmare Alley, Catch Me If You Can, and The Tinder Swindler, I think you'll really enjoy it. You can get it on Amazon, you can buy it, or you can get it for free from my website. You just sign up for my mailing list at artonboletti.com. You'll get your novella. Enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And enjoy today's episode, which there's a little bit of an audio issue on. I do sound a bit like a robot, but luckily my guest is speaking more than I am. So I think you'll still really enjoy it. Cheers. Everybody, this is What the Fuck is Wrong With Us. I'm Artem Belletti. This is the podcast where we try to get to the bottom of why people write about dark things and love dark things. And... This week's guest is thriller writer Louise Mumford. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show as well. Not at all. I can tell we're going to have fun chatting. So for the people at home who don't know you, I'm, I'm sure that many people have read your books, but for the people who don't know you, just tell us about what you write, um, how long you've been at this. Just, just tell us about you. Okay, so I'm going to take you back to 2018, before the pandemic, <laughs> those heady times before the pandemic, um, and I decided that I was going to take a year off teaching, and I was going to, in a year, write a book and get it published, which is a very unrealistic uh, deadline. <laughs> um, and so I did write the book, I wrote Sleepless, which was my first thriller, um, and I sent it off to lots of agents and got lots and lots of rejections, as you do. Uh, and then I actually met the, my publisher, who's HQ, and they're part of HarperCollins. She was at a festival called the Prima Donna Festival in Suffolk. And I had my first three chapters and my synopsis and my hook and my elevator pitch and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and I gave it to her as a little kind of leaflet folder of um, information and she went away and read it and wanted to read more which was brilliant and that was the first step then in in becoming published so my first book was um about an insomniac called Thea uh, because I struggled to sleep a little bit um so I thought I could write about that fairly well and so she's uh given the opportunity to be part of this sleep technology trial on an island and it all goes very wrong as you would imagine so that was my first thriller uh, I think a book coming out called Sleepless during the pandemic so that's when it was it was then published during lockdown I think that massively helped because a lot of people were sleepless at that time um so so yeah it was it was a really weird experience having your first novel published during a pandemic uh, and then my second book was called The Safe House, which is about a very unusual uh, bunker style house in the woods and the two women who live there, the mum and daughter who live there. And then my third book, which is out, uh, which just came out in paperback a month or so ago, is called The Hotel. And it's all set in the creepy ruins of the Ravencliff Hotel on the coast of West Wales, because I live in Wales, I'm Welsh. So it was lovely to be able to set um, a book there. And it's also got uh, horror film themes to it a little bit as well because they're a group of media study students who who set out to do a found footage style film in in the ruins of this hotel and again obviously it all goes horribly wrong i love that everything just ends with and it all goes horribly wrong that's pretty much a thriller isn't it it's just something yeah, something, something and then it all it goes, all horribly, goes wrong. horribly wrong <laughs> yeah no, we can see the covers on the shelf there behind you you Very can, good. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like the, uh, the photography, the photograph for the hotel is uh, is really nice. Yeah, it's very. Um, the cover designer is is brilliant for that one. I, I mean, all the covers are lovely, but um, that that one in particular was great. And it's it's a, I think, a very deliberate nod to The Shining because I was very heavily. I'm always heavily influenced by Stephen King. I love, I loved his work. So to be able to to kind of have a little nod to that was brilliant. Uh -huh. Amazing. So, was this the first novel that you wrote in twenty? Was it eighteen? You said that you started writing it. Had you yeah. written anything before? Oh, I had. I think everyone who I do, I think mostly people who are published, they're not published with the first book that they've ever written. 
<laughs> they're probably published through like the second or third book that they've written. So I did, I had written stuff before um, and it was fine, but it will never probably see the light of day. <laughs> um, so this one, I kind of, and you, I, I learned so much through the editing process, having an editor uh, who is kind of very focused and concentrated, you know, on that, on that story. She helped me pick out all sorts of stuff that, you know, I probably wouldn't have thought about when I was when I was working with HQ to do Sleepless. So, so yeah, it definitely wasn't my first book. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how how many deep do you think you are? I'm curious. And, and were the, were the things that you wrote earlier were they thrillers or did you write in other genres? No, I'm um I'm a huge fan of kind of magical realism. So the oh, Neil Gaiman stuff like that. I'm a huge uh-huh. fan of Neil Gaiman's. So I wrote um young adult and children's stuff um as well. So they were uh, stories more aimed at a younger audience. Uh-huh. Uh, the one which is called The Devil's Theatre, I still really love, and I would like to kind of work it as an adult book or do something young adulty with it because it's just a it's just a really great story um so there are kind of there are things I might go back to but there's definitely a lot of stuff I, I reckon I've written one two three four five I had about five novels written before I wrote Sleepless so after a brief uh, technical interlude there we're, we're back um so you were saying that you've written in other other genres before before you got published um did you always been a writer or have you been writing since you were young as well like little short stories and yeah 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 i've i've always been a writer i think i read um anne of green gables at a very young age uh and i loved anne of green gables totally obsessed with it so wrote loads of short stories about plucky orphans with um strict aunts and uncles looking after them um and then it kind of carried on from there i think if you're a reader uh, you're uh, sorry when you're a writer you're always a reader first so I kind of tore through all sorts of books and I wanted to see what stories I could create and what I also like doing is I like watching tv shows when I was a kid and then kind of writing my own episodes for them all obviously right. putting myself as a starring role Why not? <laughs> in, in it um and I think that was kind of using the your story brain a bit as well, awesome. wasn't it? Doing that. So yeah, I used to I, I remember doing that quite a lot actually, just kind of making up these episodes where I would guest star and obviously fall in love with the handsome lead, you know, even though I was twelve. <clears throat> did you have a fa- did you have a favourite show that you used to write yourself into? Oh, now not many people are gonna remember this, I don't think, but I re- I really loved a show called Sequest DSV. Do you remember this? but I don't know it. It was, it probably wasn't very good. Don't go back and watch it now because it's probably horrendous. Um, but it was produced, I think, by Steven Spielberg. So it was the idea of Star Trek, but under the sea. Right. So going into the deepest parts of the ocean um, and this crew going into the deepest parts of the ocean kind of set in the near future. And it had a talking dolphin. <laughs> obviously and um the the boy who was friends with the talking dolphin i had a massive crush on and his name was i can still remember the character's name lucas wallencheck yes yeah so you know if you want to look up sequest dsv do go ahead but i do warn you it's probably not very good there's going to be a spike of viewing figures for clips on youtube now yeah <laughs> so um you were saying that you've gone sort of from writing writing yourself into episodes of, I, I wouldn't call, I, I don't know how Dark Seacrest got. It didn't. It, it, no, it was an no, evening, really. evening show that was, yeah. It wasn't okay, dark. Nice family time around the TV, yeah. Yes, yes. So the, it seems like there's been a sliding journey towards the darkness. You've gone from sort of Seacrest to... Um, magical realism. I know Neil Gaiman sort of deals in some horror, doesn't he? Yeah. Yes. And then you've gone, you've gone right to thriller. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, go on. I well, I I do. I've always loved the, the darker stories too. I remember watch um, reading, and I I don't know whether they even still do this now, but apparently in my school there was a Ladybird book of Dracula. Oh. 
So oh, wow. <laughs> it was Dracula for kids. Um, wow. And I remember reading that in school, loving it, being absolutely terrified by it at the same time and going home and working out how far I lived from the nearest graveyard which wasn't actually that far um it was only two streets down <laughs> there's a massive church two streets down with a huge graveyard so then I just slept with the covers tucked right up um, under my chin to put off any would-be um vampires who were looking to make their next kill uh, so I've always loved darker stories and then I got into Stephen King kind of as a teenager you know you read Carrie and The Shining and Misery and you know all of those kind of classic stories and then I do kind of I do read horror for for pleasure generally if I if I have a chance or I'm not reading a book that I've you know that I'm reading for a friend or I'm I'm reading to quote for um I do often choose horror books to read I love them there's a there was a great one recently called Come Closer, I think it was called by Sarah Gran. And it's a, it's a novella. It's brilliant. It's about this woman being possessed by a demon throughout the book. And it, yeah, that was, that was really good. I loved, I love reading this. It, it's horror is, it can be, it can tap into our deepest fears. And in doing so, it allows us to kind of work through them. So it's, it's just a really interesting way. And I like, working out what's scaring people at the moment it changes doesn't it kind of through through the through the years what what scares people and it's it's interesting that you know with kind of Saw and with Hostel and, and those kind of films because Saw has got a new film out hasn't it now the, yeah, that's that right, yeah. but still that very gory stuff yeah. is still really really popular that hasn't seemed to have waned as much as I thought it would yeah, um, they started that in sort of the early to mid 2000s didn't the yeah. saw and hostel were out around the same time yeah and saw is still you know it's it's still a massive um audience pulling machine you people are still going to watch it so so yeah i think it's why halloween um is is becoming more popular in the uk people like that kind of slightly scary but also you know it's it's it, good fun as well and it's yeah it's just i i just enjoy it i find it yeah. relaxing <laughs> to yeah. read about other people being terrified <clears throat> well this this is sort of what um gave me the idea for the podcast because so many people say similar things you know you uh you go home at night after a stressful day you put your feet up and you put on the most nerve shredding horrifying thing that you could possibly find and um i wanted some answers so i thought who better to speak to than other other sort of authors of dark genres and it seems like thriller and horror um are bedfellows really aren't they oh yeah definitely i mean the thrillers definitely often have elements of horror to them they're they're not generally gory my editor in particular kind of stays away from she always steer me away from the from the more gory parts i remember in sleepless there was one thing that happened and I remember her saying to me, oh, you've got to, you've got to tone, you've got to tone that scene down. And I remember thinking to myself, I had, I had toned it down, toned it down massively. I could have gone a lot worse. Um, uh, so, so yeah, thrillers do often tend not to be quite gory. But there are detective fiction, when you get kind of the serial killer detective fiction, that's massively um, yeah. horrific in some of the scenes that they describe. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's a big crossover, I think, between crime fiction and horror in general. And so you, you said that you have thought quite extensively about what what scares us. You know, you said you like watching horror films to sort of pick that apart. So what do you think, sort of more broadly, draws us towards these dark genres? You know, like why why is it relaxing? Yeah, I think we like seeing other people put through it. <laughs> Um, definitely. <laughs> it's human nature. It's why people used to flock to hangings and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? It's just, it's the same thing. It's hardwired in our brain. We like to see people terrified for some reason. I think it's also slightly, um, it's a cathartic thing. So if you've had a bad day and then you put on this film and you, you have these kind of jump scares, but you're very safe, you know that you're in a very safe environment. It kind of works out that adrenaline a little bit, I think. I think there's definitely a kind of therapy, cathartic 
um, element to it. Um, but I think it's also slightly putting yourself in that position. We're, we're probably never going to be in a position where um, we are faced with, you know, a malignant figure who's stalking us through a massive maze, like happens in the hotel. That's not probably not going to happen in our life. But it's quite interesting to put ourselves in that position. What would we do? It's why we scream at the screen, isn't it? Don't go upstairs. Don't, you know, don't open the door. That kind of thing. When the characters do something stupid, you're invested with them. You're thinking, well, what would I do in that situation? Which I always find quite interesting. It's definitely just in case we ever need to, just in case we do have that malignant force in our lives that we might yeah. need to uh, get away from. Yeah. Well, I mean, War of the Worlds has taught us that if an alien um, invasion happens, first of all, check what they're allergic to, what what they <laughs> what they might die of <laughs> on Earth. There's quite, yeah, quite a lot of that, system. isn't there? Yeah. there's um, Signs is like that as well, isn't it? Do you remember Signs? Yes. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a sort of similar deal. I'm quite interested by all the folk horror stuff that's coming out at the moment as well. You've okay. got stuff um, like Midsummer, the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, uh, brilliant which was, film. Which was amazing. I mean, I still remember that now. There are scenes in that that you, you were kind of just transfixed by how awful it was. Uh-huh. And then you've got quite a lot of this kind of folk horror, this kind of fear of old ways, the fear of, the, fear of nature, fear of the countryside. And I think that plays into climate fear as well a little bit, you know, that our planet is whirling out of our control a little. Okay. And I think that feeds into into the stuff that's coming out in terms of horror as well. I'll tell you what makes Midsummer an interesting watch if you watch it with your girlfriend's mum. That's uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we did. It got a little bit much for us, so she went to went to bed. Oh, uh, yeah. gosh, that's intense. That's an intense yeah, thing. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We did, we didn't really really. We we knew it was meant to be good, but we didn't know what it was. So yeah, yeah. That's um, always fun to uh, <laughs> put yourself in a situation like that. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> what's the what, what's the um? You must have had a situation like that. Like what's the What's the worst you've misjudged a room? You know, like, it might not have even been a, a, like a sort of sexual thing or a horror thing. Like, I remember doing it with comedies where I've just completely misjudged. Um, I remember one time I was at somebody's house, and this is back in the day when, like, people used to rent stuff on the TV, you know, like on Sky or whatever, because we didn't have all the streamers. Yeah. And uh, I just, I picked the worst comedy ever. Like, I've been to see it with friends at the cinema. And I thought this is a this is a home run, and we hired it. And it, you could have heard a pin drop, you know. There was just no laughter whatsoever. And I'm sat there for the entire thing, thinking I am completely responsible for the long faces in this room for for the last two hours. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, well, I mean, probably sometimes misjudging the room probably happened quite a lot as a teacher. A lot of the stuff you teach the kids, they just don't, they, they don't want to know it. Um, I do remember we used to do a book called Zed for Zachariah. Do you know, do you know Zed for Zachariah? Not oh, many no. people do now. It's, it's really good. It's um, set in the near future, uh, a nuclear a bomb has has been let off and the fallout but the, this one girl in i think it's a welsh valley again i think i'm sure she's welsh she, because of the the weird weather system of this welsh valley very deep she's very deep in the valley she's escaped the nuclear fallout and so she lives completely on her own in this farmhouse because her parents went off uh, to kind of find out what was happening and never came back and this scientist appears and he's in the kind of, you know, protective suit and everything. And he appears and, and um, lured there because he could see the, the birds flying above it. And it, it ends up that he's quite a disturbed, um, creepy character. And then it's this, this two-hander between the two of them. So it was a really good book. Um, unfortunately, halfway through, clearly the writer had done a load of research on how you get petrol out of petrol pumps. Um, because at one point she needs some petrol to run the tractor. So he'd done clearly this huge amount of research on it and spent about two pages describing how you get the petrol out of the petrol pump. 
oh my god, the kids did not care about getting the petrol at the petrol. You could see them literally just switching off in front of me. So in the end, I used to kind of just cut those two pages. But we, we used to watch the film. There was a, a BBC film made of it, and it was very kind of PG friendly, um, apart from one scene where the, the scientist strips off completely and jumps into the lake because he sees the water and he's, you know, he's not experienced clean water for years now. He strips off completely, jumps into the lake, full frontal. So these kids oh. are like 13. He does this. So I, we always wanted to play the film because it was really good, but you had to have a way of like getting around this scene. So what I used to do is I used to sit at the back of the classroom and the TV would be... Uh, I used to sit at the front, the TV was at the back, so the kids would all turn round to watch the TV, and I was behind them. And what I was doing, because I knew the scene was coming up, I would say something, and they'd all turn to me, miss the scene, <laughs> apart from maybe one or two kids who were still watching, yeah. and they'd be going, did you see that? Did you see that? That, was a, that man had his, had his aunt, and everyone's going, what? No, no, miss, rewind it, I want to see it, I want to see it. And I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry, if you haven't, if you didn't watch it properly, then we're not rewinding anything. <laughs> I used to love doing that. That used to be one of my favourite things. I think, oh, the scene's coming up, I can distract them now. And then one person will see it. <laughs> what did you What did you teach? Oh, English. English. Yeah, English. So we used to read Zed for Zachariah, and then they used to have an exam on it and everything, yeah. Oh, good. good times. Yeah, I remember. I remember teachers at my secondary school not doing that. I remember watching the old. I mean, it's, there's been controversy about it recently. There was an old Romeo and Juliet. Do, do you, have you heard about this? Uh, the Zeffirelli one. It's quite old. It's from maybe 16? the sixties or seventies. Yeah. yeah. There's like lawsuits around it at the moment. About yeah. Sort of possibly underage nudity, but yeah, yeah, I remember the teachers weren't on that at all. They didn't have your skills to uh, intercept. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that sixties Romeo and Juliet is a bit is a bit much. Yes, there's yeah, also a, bit, a Macbeth. A dodge now. Yeah, there's a Macbeth from the seventies, which was actually made by Playboy. Oh, wow. Playboy I'm production. guessing that one is Dodge. Like, I think you know what you're getting into if Playboy made it. <laughs> I know. It is actually not too bad, but there is okay. a lot of nudity in that one again, obviously, with Playboy. Um, so, yeah, you do have to be careful. You always watch the things before you let the children watch it. Yeah. And you used to have like fun films at the end of the year. So, I let them watch The Goonies or something. But I hadn't watched The Goonies myself for years. And how much swearing there is in The Goonies. Oh, really? Yeah, so much bad language. I was like, oh my God, I didn't realise there was this much. The kids would be like, that, that's another shit, miss. That's another one. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I will watch it next time. <clears throat> yeah, yeah they'll, they'll act like you were giving them permission to do it themselves. Oh, yes. Oh, they, yeah. they acted like they'd never heard that word before. They were so shocked. It's like, I've heard you say that in the playground. <laughs> amazing um so going back to what we were talking about you know we were talking about things like songs and pistol and things like that. obviously quite thrillers so you've got a fairly high tolerance for this stuff is there anything that's sort of too dark for you that you don't don't enjoy you don't go near you just don't have the taste for um I'm I'm actually not a massive fan of the kind of body horror stuff. So when it gets really kind of, you know, sticking stuff in people's eyes and, you know, sewing up bits of their body that don't need to be sewn up. Um, I'm not really I'm not really into that. It gives me the ick a little bit. But that's what it's designed to do. <laughs> of course. Um I do remember there's only one horror film that I've ever switched off and it was twenty eight days 28 days the cillian murphy one one. and i got it was about i think i got about a third of the way through they were in the apartment block and the the kind of people were people zombies were 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 trying to break in and there was something just so i've watched a lot of zombie films you know I've, i've watched all sorts of horror stuff but there was something so deeply grim, unrelentingly grim about that film um, that kind of, it put me off a little bit. I think partly it's down to the mood you're in. You know, I might have been having, yeah. a, might have been having a bad day 
<laughs> day or whatever it was. And I just wasn't in the mood to be for it. I, I felt like it was going to go to a very hopeless place um, uh-huh. quite quickly. And I just, yeah, I just wasn't, I wasn't in the mood for that. And I turned it off. But mostly I do stick, I do stick with them because I, I do, I do obviously enjoy the genre. So I do tend to, to, to continue with it. In terms of horror books, I, I really, I really don't finish a book anyway. It has to be really bad for me not to finish it. Um, I did go back and read The Rats by James Herbert. James Herbert is the rats, I think, um, because it was a it was a seminal piece of work, isn't it? You know, the rats, it's it, the fog and all of that sort of stuff. It's it, you know that stuff kind of helped create the genre. And I I read it again, and it just it wasn't how I remembered it at all. Which is always a lesson: never go back to the stuff that you really liked. But it just seemed so disjointed. It was just these kind of each chapter was almost like a little short story you'd meet the character you'd find out a bit about the character the character would be killed by rats <laughs> you know next chapter you'd meet the character you'd find out a bit about the character the character was shocker going to be killed by rats um and it kind of you know it kind of carried on that there was no kind of um there was slightly but it wasn't very compelling it, there was no arc there was no character to hang your hat on that you kind of wanted to know about you know that you really wanted to care about um so yeah, it's interesting what what makes a bestseller in different eras as well, because clearly that sold loads. You know, it it caught people's imagination. But I think it would have struggled to have been published now. Definite yeah. editing work would have been done on it. Would <laughs> have created some big sort of open loop where yeah, have, maybe everyone still would have been killed by rats, but you'd have went sort of character one starts off. Doesn't get killed yet, but the character seems introed, and they have like sort of a Russian, Russian doll situation of um, yeah. nested loops of people being killed by rats until that first character eventually is killed by rats. That was, yeah, that would probably work better. You just want to root for, you want to care about something, even if you care about them because you dislike them and you want to see their comeuppance, or you care about them because you want them to survive. You need some sort of you know emotional pull, don't you, to a book. Yeah, or they could have tried to invest you in the rats. They could have turned it they on could. its head. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's tricky, though. They're rats. You know, they've got a bad rep as it is. <laughs> tricky so, or a, a writing challenge? The, there, oh. there was the Rats of Nim. The, again, this is another book you probably don't know. I'm sure my age no, I don't again. Know it. It's about these um, genetically modified rats. So they're really clever okay. and lovely. Okay. And they help save this little mouse um, uh, who's, who's lost his home through harvesting. It's a lovely children's story. So there, there you go. There are some good rats. Lovely rats. Very good, so, good rats. Yeah, Ro- yeah. Roland Rat, he was a very good rat. Roland Rat, another good rat. Yeah, let's, let's give rats the, the, the um, praise they deserve. It's funny, you were saying that 28 Days Later is the one that you turned off, and it was more to do with the sort of general tone of it, the bleak, yeah. grim nature of it. And to me, actually, that, that to me is darkness. Um, I know a lot of people in our genre, they tend to go sort of towards horror and don't know the darkness becomes more about sort of gore and scares mm. and whatever else to me it's the sort of um sinister undertones of the things that exist in our world i think that's why i am more thriller than horror um 28 days later as you say it's not really a typical zombie film um no i mean it was very well done i think that novelty about um I guess how humanity became in in the midst of this zombie apocalypse. Um, yeah, the, the, the sort of lack of humanity that ends up coming from the troubles of the world. That that to me is like re- that that gets me more. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I could sort of watch Saw and Hostel and you know people getting their heads pulled off by monsters and whatever else like it doesn't really bother me not really like occasionally don't don't get me wrong but yeah the stuff that really 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 gets to me is the stuff that's underneath the humanity of us Uh, like midsummer was extremely sort of yeah 
weird and disturbing, not not scary, but um unnerving, yeah. I think, more than unnerving. scary. Yeah. Um so yeah, you're I think you're the first guest that I've had on who's sort of it's interesting that your your one that you had to turn off was more because of that. Yeah, and I think because, it's because like, it affected me so much. I, I was feeling so... I think I I invest so much in the characters. I was feeling so hopeless. that yeah. It was actually becoming too much even for me. I was like, no, I can't. I can't I can't see all of these people. I know each of them are going to have a horrific end. Um, yeah. And there's going to be no kind of, you know, hope here at all. So I had to, I had to turn it off. So um, a lack of hope. Lack of hope is one yeah. of the sort of most fundamental ingredients of something that I guess you find dark and that I do too. I think, yeah, I think that, well, I think it is for for the human condition. I mean, where do you go once you've yeah. lost any kind of hope, you know, any sort of joy in life, any idea that life can get better? You know, a lot of the, the characters, like that, this idea of the final girl, you know, the, the, the girl who always survives at the end, who's fought away. Right, yeah. You know, it's this idea that they have gripped on to something, haven't they? There's something that they are fighting for. It could be their life, but it's also maybe they are fighting to get back to somebody or they're fighting to overcome a fear that has, you know, held them back. And it's that kind of fight in it that 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 has powered them through. So when somebody loses that... You know, when yeah. they, when you, you strip all of that away, I think that, yeah, you're right. That is the worst. That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, I guess it's a fine line as a writer to try and give somebody enough of an obstacle that you almost go to the point of hopelessness where maybe a reader thinks there's no way out of this. There's no possible way that this character's getting out of this. Like, if you can take somebody to that place, keep them, and then yeah. deliver them a sort of yeah. happy ending, for, for want of a better term, um, they're, the, they're the sort of most, um, I don't know, well-earned good endings. Like, yeah. I always think of uh, Shawshank Redemption. I know like people really classify it as a thriller, but like, it doesn't really get much darker than that. Yeah, you know, for somebody to be um, a spoiler for Shawshank Redemption before anyone, <laughs> before anyone has a go, um, you know, for somebody to be uh, wrongly imprisoned for what twenty odd years and to yeah. be abused as he is, and for the warden to sort of give him false hope and to have some of his friends killed, you know, like it's just thing after thing after thing, yeah. and that that if not more skillfully done could definitely turn somebody off because you're like what am i watching here yeah um but But i think it's the flashes of humanity in that film as well which is what stephen king i think does really well it's the flashes of humor it's the it's the flash of you know some kindness it's the it's the he he puts that in really really well i think which then just enough yeah yeah so it does get it does get extremely dark at some point. I mean, you're pretty much convinced before he makes his escape that he's he's going to do himself in, right? That's sort yeah. of the ultimate lack of hope, despair. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so speaking of where people go, um, just said it when we were in a in that section of conversation uh, speaking of where people go the hotel um <laughs> awful segue but i wanted to know if that is inspired by a particularly bad hotel stir that you've had um, no it is inspired by a real spot on the welsh okay. coast so um okay. there's cardigan bay and just up above from cardigan bay there's um, an actual hotel on the cliff it's called the cliff hotel and spot my hotel is not the Cliff Hotel and Spa. I do not no, no, it's not. <laughs> by them. Um, mine is completely different. But it is this brilliant little spot, which is quite um, isolated. There's not a huge amount around it. I think there's one or two holiday lets behind it. Um, oh. Another very small kind of B&B hotel behind. Um, and it's just a brilliant place to set 
that kind of hotel that I had in my mind, the one with the maze and, you know, the lovely Gothic architecture and uh, the mysterious lights in the window and all that sort of stuff. And wow. it is inspired by a real piece of history because in, uh, in West Wales, there was a plan for that little stretch of coast in the 1800s to be the new Brighton. So it was the idea that they would get the fashionable London set um, up to West Wales uh, and they could enjoy the bracing sea air and promenade and all of that sort of stuff. But as usual with, with West Wales in particular, the um, railway line was particularly difficult to get to that spot. So um, the railway line that was promised, eventually it was, well, it was delayed. I think by the time it actually happened, it was something like 15, 20 years after they first said they were going to do it. So I thought, well, what if one person, if Reginald Morwood, my character, had decided to sink all his money into building a hotel on that spot and then nobody was going to be able to get there? You know, what would what would that person do? What would happen to the hotel, etc. So, so yes, it is kind of inspired um, by real events and also inspired by the film The Blair Witch Project. Oh, which that, is was, another that was going to be film. my next question. Yeah, go, yeah. go on, sorry. So, I mean, that's the kind of, I think it's the first found footage horror film. I might be wrong, but I think it's it really? the first one. Um, and it was, it had a brilliant marketing campaign. I mean, the whole thing about people thought it was real. You know, there yeah. were many people who went into kind of who watched stuff and thought that, that was a, a real piece of, um, it, that it had really happened. And so I wanted to, the, 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 my characters in the book are very influenced by that. They've watched the Blair Witch Project. They want to make something similar. So that's why they go to that location because it's supposedly haunted it's supposedly cursed and they want to do some do some filming there but it's also my book slightly um uh influenced by the friends reunion a couple of years ago um i love i love the friends reunion i loved how collectively as a society we lost our minds kind of analyzing this one hour of tv as i well ooh, david schwimmer hugged jennifer aniston does this mean that they're going to fall in love no it doesn't you know and kind of commenting about the women's plastic surgery what they have and haven't had done and you know did matthew perry look as if he was high on drugs and all you know all that sort of stuff so i wanted uh -huh. then to put my characters under that pressure so there's a 10-year gap from when they made the film and the one of them went missing and then 10 years later the film company wants to film a reunion show back at the hotel and then that puts them under all of this pressure to kind of come together again you know what they've been doing in the meantime what secrets are they holding and you know all that sort of stuff I thought was really interesting. I, I adore that the Friends reunion was a strong inspiration for that <laughs> book. Yeah Friends reunion but with more blood. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Although we didn't see the outtakes from the Friends reunion, so... You didn't, no. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I was... Before I, before I read your book, I was sort of like, is this going to be sort of like... Um, I don't know, I was sort of suspecting that it may be influenced by a sort of uh, really bad travel lodge stay or a, I know I know that on the cover it's not like that. I thought you had really, really traumatic experience at some, no. some hotel or other. No, no. No. But, I mean, we no, stayed a... once in a really dodgy, um, my, my husband ran the London Marathon and he was in charge of booking the hotel, which was my first mistake. I should never put my husband in charge of booking a hotel um, because he booked us a hotel that I think had been a hostel until very recently and actually had smeared blood along the corridor in, in, wow. in it. It was awful. It's the most horrendous place. So, yeah, I, I mean, I have had the odd bad hotel experience, but nothing that's that would quite um, match what happens at, at the hotel in my book. No, it would be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? I know, I know, I had a very bad hotel stay in London, but it just doesn't have the grandeur of uh, of your location. No, no, exactly. No. Um, so you mentioned Blair Witch, and I think it's funny. Every episode that I've done of this, Blair Witch ends up coming up. It's it's so it's such a staple for for thriller and horror fans. Yeah. Um, 
it's truly incredible. But have you seen? Have you got any other um, like really, really recommended found footage films? Oh, found footage ones. No, I don't yeah. think I have actually. Um, I know I don't. No, I don't think I have got. I, I mean, the genre kind of falls apart very quickly. <laughs> I mean, you can do a found footage film really well. Yeah. But then people are kind of, you know, kind of know what to expect from those. And I mean, the like the paranormal activity ones, yeah. they, um, you know, they've gone into lots and lots of sequels, haven't they now? I think it's yeah. even a sequel to Blair Witch. Am I right? There is, but it, there is, but it wasn't found footage, weirdly. Oh, it wasn't, was it? Oh, I, I didn't don't believe so. Yeah, I haven't seen it since I saw it at the cinema whenever it came out, but don't believe it's fan footage. Um, the, the, the only other fan footage one that comes to mind, did you ever see uh, Cloverfield? Yeah, I was about to say that, actually. Yeah, I did watch that one, and that was interesting. Again, don't want to give too much away in case people have not seen it, but it, it kind of marries two genres, doesn't it, very well. So, um, yeah, that, that was pretty good. The problem is it gets... Um, it gets quite chaotic, doesn't it? The, the 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 watching of it because you're constantly kind of being held, aren't you? And the kind of shaky camera thing and zoom going from one spot to another. That's why it was. Um, there were stories, weren't there? People like feeling sick during the Blair Witch screenings oh, because right, it was okay. on that big screen. Yeah, and they'd never really had a film that kind of bounced them about like that. Uh, so people yeah. got this kind of travel sickness. Um, I think Cloverfield was probably an even more intense version of that. I remember yeah. there being lots of running around and explosions and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, fan footage is uh, when done well is incredibly powerful. As you said, it's sort of quite limited in its scope, isn't it? So it's hard to do something really good with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was saying that Blair Witch was probably the first one, but. It's it was probably that Ghost Watch thing, which was on British TV um, years right. ago in the nineties. It was yeah. a it was a one hour special, and it was complete. It was a it was a hoax, but um, it was people were more gullible <laughs> about hoaxes in, in those times. And um, well, people bought into Blair Witch as well, didn't they? Because they, they convinced the world that that had happened. Yeah. I, I I wonder if they would today. I, I think people are savvier today on on you know what what could be you know fake. Hopefully, people uh -huh. are savvy today. <laughs> you keep fingers crossed. Um. So yeah, Ghost Watch. It was it was. Um. Have you seen that one? The TV. I've not, no, but again, I've had a guest mention it fairly recently. Mm. I don't think so I've seen it. It was it was just really interesting because it was meant to be this this filming of of um like a haunting and it did it as kind of like, you know, real life footage and, and then it all went horribly wrong, as it does. Um, and, and people were terrified. People were genuinely terrified. Um, this had happened. They had to, you know, go back and say, no, this was this was a hoax. It, it was all fake. It was all filmed. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, when it works really well, it really does get people. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's interesting. I know you said um, you hope that maybe people aren't that gullible anymore. Um, just I think my last episode, the the writer was telling me that he he knows a writer who gets people in touch with him regularly, thinking that the characters are real, real um. people. So it still happens, even in even in books, which is um, you would think that I could sort of understand it more with video, you know, with film yeah. because. You can see the people, yeah. sort of very visceral. Um, and if you've seen something that's in a found footage style, see how you might think that. But yeah, if you're reading a book that doesn't declare itself as non as nonfiction, um, yeah, but there, there are still people who are drawn in so much by stories, um, even stories that they bought from the fiction section, that the lines yeah. between what's real and what, what isn't are blurred, which is, is fascinating. So we, we, I tend to play a little game with guests on this uh, on this podcast, which involves the guests selecting three of their favourite um, dark characters, sort of 
Ooh, three of my favourite dark characters. Uh-huh. Okay, well, my first one would be Carrie from Stephen King's book, Carrie, because that was the first Stephen King book that I ever read, I think. And it's just, I mean, he really does get into the head of a of a, a young girl for a start uh, and just the whole telekinesis thing. And, you know, that it's all just, it's really gripping. And it's very short as well, Carrie. Carrie would probably be classed as a novella now, not a, a novel. Um, so you kind of like tear through it in in at least a day. And yeah, so Carrie would definitely be up there. She's she's one of my favourite dark characters. Um, who would be another one? I think another one would probably be... Um, there's a film called The Babadook. Have you seen I've The Babadook? I've not seen it, but I've heard of it. It's really good. It's an Australian horror film. There's some brilliant horror films from Australia um, at the moment and, and a few years back as well. So this one is about a young mum and her son and she is struggling. He's he's quite, the, the son is quite difficult. She's really struggling to sleep as well. She's exhausted. And this character that they read in a storybook called the Babadook and it's got the, the long black cloak and the tall hat and the big dark eyes. This kind of comes to haunt them but it it that character signifies all sorts of different things it you know it signifies her fear that she's not a very good mum it signifies her fear that she's messing up a child you know so this this kind of creature um is so much more than just the the horror figure um and at the end it's got a really great end where um she kind of has to come to terms with this fear and she doesn't do it by killing the monster um, it's really interesting what the end of what the end of the film is. So yeah, the uh-huh. Duke would definitely be one as well. Uh-huh. Um, and I think probably, I think for my third one, dark character. Uh-huh. There's loads of them, you see. So it's really hard to get, <laughs> to get it to three. Three's not. Yeah, they don't. They don't have to be your top three, but three that come to mind. <laughs> Two that come to mind would probably then be something like from the classic kind of eighties horror films. So something like Freddy, um, or you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, all that sort of stuff. Because when you watch, I watched them at an age where you're you're pretty young and they kind of stick in your they stick in your psyche don't they as the as the monsters under the bed so something like someone or a monster like freddy freddy krueger would would definitely be up there um, such a great premise for a character that he he gets you well he gets you doing something that you can't help doing you know yeah. with a lot of horror films there's always that sort of disbelief you like why are you putting yourself in that situation? Yeah. But with Freddy, you don't really have much of a choice. You're no. in a pretty tough spot. Yeah, yeah exactly. No well, I mean, a lot of horror relies on people doing slightly unbelievable things. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a great horror film called The Cabin in the Woods. Uh-huh. Not Knock at the Cabin, that's different. But this one is a, is about, oh gosh, going to be about 15 years old now. And it's it really does take that idea that they know these characters are doing something stupid and there's a whole reason why they are, which is revealed at the end. Well, about halfway through, you start to realise. It's really clever. So they go to this cabin in the woods and it's all very stereotypical up until a point and then it all unravels. And that, yeah, that was really good. So we've got, we've got our three characters and we basically play a game that is a variant of Snog Marry Avoid. I call it Stalk, Bury, Destroy. So you're going to pick one character who fascinates you so much that you would follow them around to see how they live their lives, what sort of things they like to do, how they terrorise people. You could be a sort of fly on the wall as they're doing that sort of thing. Um, Bury is, you know, would kill them because they are evil. Um, but you might have a funeral for them because you do have some respect for them. They might have some humanity. They're not totally, totally bad. But then destroy, like, no, you completely obliterate them. Nothing exists anymore. 
Um, no one will miss them. There shouldn't be any trace left. So with the three characters that you pick or picked, um, who who would you stalk? So I would stalk Carrie because I would like to. Well, I I would I would I know she dies at the end. Sorry, spoilers if you're friend Carrie. <laughs> She's gone. Um, uh, but I would kind of like to give her a little afterlife where she actually has a happier time. <laughs> I would like to stalk oh. her and see her be happy. Um, because she was just this terribly misunderstood, malformed, badly treated girl. Um, so yes, I would do that. I would stalk, stalk Carrie. Um, I would bury, but yeah. I still have, you know, I, I would do the whole respectful funeral and think about them fondly um would be the babadook uh, so i definitely want to bury him but i think i have respect for the babadook if you, only for his you sound like you had a great deal of affection for, for babadook i do you do well no you don't you're, you're petrified of him because he is quite scary um but to, yeah by the end you kind of yeah and i, I love the family i love the mum and the son so so yes i would i would respectfully bury uh, the Babadook and I would definitely 100% destroy Freddy Krueger I think that would only enhance everybody's lives <laughs> to get rid of Freddy yeah. Krueger doesn't have too many redeeming qualities does he not really well I mean he might have done in some of the later films but there are a lot of those films now and I haven't seen them all I'm not quite sure of the character arc of Freddy Krueger <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really think there is one I think I, I even watched the um I don't remember that much of the originals, but I watched there was a remake in about 2009, 2010, and it was all right, actually. It was all yeah. right, but it just basically was the origin, sort of the origin story done again. And uh, yeah, his arc is sort of, uh, he's an extremely evil man when he's alive and he gets burnt to a crisp and then terrorizes yeah. people in their dreams. So yeah, yeah that's, uh, I don't think there's much of a redemption. Although, it would be quite interesting to have like a sort of Shawshank Redemption mashup with Freddy Krueger um, to see if we could. No, I'm I'm there by myself. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just spitballing here. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, Shawshank on Elm Street. <laughs> I'm not sure. Shawshank on Elm Street. Yeah. I'm not sure that's a, a mashup that anyone needs. But you know, you can. No. You can... Am I right anywhere though? Am I right anywhere? <laughs> um, like like you write in your um, your episodes when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, I think I think kids do that, don't they? Kind of put themselves in whatever they love. They're kind of in that world. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I, I do love that about about being a kid. When you're so passionate about something as well, you just want to live in it. You just want to live <laughs> in that whatever it is that you're passionate about. Yeah, God, God knows what that means about me thinking to to write that as a mashup. But anyway, we'll <laughs> swiftly move on from that. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, as I, as I do with most people, what if you were going to be one of the dark characters, either from horror or thriller, obviously you write about dark characters now. If you were going to be one, um, not necessarily like a specific one, but a type of dark character, what would you be? You know, like, would you be a vampire or a zombie or a serial killer? Or what do, what do you think that you would sort of most easily fit into? I'm quite organised. So I think a serial killer probably plays into my strengths. I'm not particularly huh? squeamish. Um, and, you know, I'm very detail driven. So I would, you know, I, it would be hard to catch me. Um, so I would possibly have, I would possibly have a long, long, long career as a serial killer. Um, how, but I, I mean, I don't think I'd really want to be a serial killer. Obviously I would love to be the kind of old school hammer horror style vampire-esque. They're very glamorous, aren't they? You know, with the amazing bouffant hair and the beautiful makeup. Yeah, like proper old school vampire, not Twilight, not any of the kind of sparkly fae vampires that you get there. It, you know, go back to the to the to the proper 
old style films. I think that would be incredibly glamorous. Um, I think that's partly why Wednesday, isn't it, on on Netflix? That's been that show has been so popular. Just the kind of glamour of it, isn't it? Catherine Zeta Jones as um, Morticia. Morticia, yeah, that whole sort of yeah. So I would love to be a kind of over the top character like that. So I put some I put some questions out for audience members to see if there was anything in particular that people wanted me to ask you. And uh, got one back. Somebody asking you, is it a Egyptian troll? He's usually he's sort of a, a a beloved troll of the show. He's called Jamie. He asks questions most episodes, but he, he was he was pretty good this time. Um, <laughs> he asked. Yeah, yeah, he, he didn't. I don't think he asked a stupid question this time. I usually, I usually take a stupid question and turn it into something better, more palatable. Um, but th- this week, he actually asked what your favourite part of the publishing process is, and he, he sort of uh, followed that up by asking, like, do, do you prefer it, like a book tour or brainstorming? You know, like what what part do you like best of everything? I, I like the writing. I like the sitting and working out the characters and the story kind of unfolding, um, hopefully when it's going well, the story unfolding um, in front of you. I love I love that process. But it is very lonely. It, it is your, you are just, you know, you in front of your computer. Uh, so I do also like... I do love the the chatting to other people when you get to meet readers and at festivals and if you're doing events or panels or something. That's that's really good fun because you get that kind of audience feedback. It's not just you on your own kind of typing into the void. You're getting that instant response if somebody laughs or, you know, if they say, oh, yes, I remember that or whatever it is. I, I do kind of I do love that that real life interaction. But I think if I had to choose, it, it's why I got into the business. I, I want to make up stories. So that's that's the bit I love. I love it when characters appear in my head. I love it when I think, oh, something really exciting has happened and I didn't realise I was going to happen. Uh, you know, and those moments when you go, oh, no, I have no idea what's happening next. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to get my characters out of this. Um, and then the answer comes to you. I love I love that whole process. Do you have a, do you have a least favourite part? I know we were talking before about editing. I don't know if that. Um, uh, I don't, no, if I don't like editing. Again, I'm quite detail driven. <laughs> I quite like editing. Um, I quite like finding all the mistakes that I've made and correcting them. It's like being a teacher again. Um, <laughs> it's quite good fun. Uh, so, so now I quite like that. I think what I struggle with is uh, uh, so at some point in the process, you, my publisher. Uh, lets me hear the people who are going to read the audiobook and I get a say in who who then reads the audiobook and I really hate listening I really hate listening to my work being read out I really hate it I don't like audiobooks in general I know I think I'm in the minority but I just can't focus on them I the words just slip over my head (laughs) I don't follow the story I, I just can't get into them and I find it incredibly cringy to hear my own words being read by somebody else, like acting them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, so that's probably the bit I don't like the most. But all of my audiobook narrators have been brilliant. <laughs> they've, mm-hmm. they've been great. I just don't like audiobooks in general. Audiobooks is a medium. I'm quite smart, actually. You can listen to a podcast, no problem, where people are having yeah. a natural conversation. Well, that's when like eavesdropping, isn't it? It's, it's like you're listening yeah. in. But if I've got to follow yeah. something, no, my brain is just no, it's just like oil over my head. <laughs> it just doesn't stick. I, th- I think for me, it's a lot to do with the, the cadence of something being read. It sort of lulls me into a bit of a trance and I just zone out. Whereas with a normal conversation, there are all of these tiny pauses and changes of pace. And, yes. Um, yeah, there's something about that that engages my brain more than listening but other people completely swear by oh yeah they, they and listen they get to all loads books, of them as well yeah loads yeah. They, they kind of eat their way through audiobooks but yeah not me yeah, fascinating so what's um what's next for you you've had the hotel out fairly recently so i am currently editing my fourth book 
working out. Um, so that's I'm I've got to hand that in at the end of November, and then my editor will look at it and tell me all the things that are wrong, <laughs> and I have to go and fix them. Um, so then that process where you, it kind of goes back and forth with your editor and you have copy edits and a structural edit and line edits and proofread, you know, that you end up reading your work about five, six times. So so that's quite a long process. So I'm I'm just getting into that that process now. Um so book four will be out next year. I believe July, I think they said. <laughs> but that's not that's summer release. Yes. Yeah, so July next year, that one, that one will be out. Uh, are you at liberty to say anything about it, or no? It's fine if you're not. I understand. I do, well. I don't know if you've already said something about it. So <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cross between Glastonbury and Midsummer, uh -huh. the film. So I I love kind of I I I don't love music festivals. I I think they're horrific to actually go and be in one. I hate the whole loads of people around me. Don't even get me started on the toilets and the whole camping thing. Mm -mm, no no no. So the idea of setting a thriller in that kind of environment seemed just a no brainer. You know I could make that seem scary very easily. Um, and then you know add in the kind of you know, folk horror elements to it as well, which is good. Should be fun in a in a scary way. So, can people actually before to people find your stuff? No. One question that I basically always end with, sort of keeping in theme with the, the episodes in it. Um, we haven't talked too much about like why. We said that you are attracted to darkness and obviously you write dark things. Um, we haven't talked much about whether you think there's something wrong with people. Because we we all we all are we all like this? Many of us are drawn to these dark things. Do you think there is something wrong with you? Or being drawn to them? I'm trying I'm trying to formulate my question. No, no, no. Well, it's not a personal thing. I ask everybody. Well, I basically the, the question the question that's coming the question that's coming is in one sentence. What the fuck is wrong with you? But yeah, no. But I, we might want to elaborate on it a little bit more and then like trim it down to a one sentence because I realised that we didn't really speak much about that earlier in the episode. So yeah. So if I just give the slightly wider answer, I actually don't think. Do. I don't think there's anything wrong with people who enjoy the darker stuff. Um, I think I think there's something wrong with people who only ever consume light-hearted stuff. <laughs> um, because clearly they're repressing something. So, um, so actually, I think that often you find it all the time. So when I was um, a teenager, late teenager, I was quite kind of interested into the the goth side of culture, you know, the used to walk around wearing the long black leather coat and thought I was Neo from Matrix, that sort of stuff. And and often you found that those people that I, I associated with were just the loveliest people, much lovelier than the so-called bubbly, bouncy, you know, popular kids um in school much much nicer much kinder much more empathetic much more sympathetic um so actually i think i think people who enjoy darker fiction and darker culture um you often are surprised and you shouldn't be but you often are surprised by actually how well adjusted how kind and how lovely they are so it's it's to paraphrase well to to put words in your mouth it's not there's nothing wrong with you it's what the fuck is wrong with these other people who yeah. can't admit that there are these darkest darker things that fascinate them that they have yeah. these other sides too yeah there's a reason okay. why mean girls you know the villains are happy bubbly Plastics. popular girls there's a reason oh. why they're the villains <laughs> you heard it here first <laughs> yeah. 
So where can where can people find your books? Where can people find you on social media? Um, so, well, social media, oh gosh, don't talk about social media. So Twitter, now known as X, um, I'm on there as Louise Mumford, Louise underscore Mumford. But in case Twitter slash X implodes, which it may very well do, I'm also um, on Instagram and Facebook and Blue Sky, which is the new one. Um, Blue Sky? Blue Sky is the one that's been created by the guy who originally created Twitter, Jack Dorsey. Yeah, he's now created Blue Sky which is the the alternative. So Instagram and Facebook, I'm Louise Mumford author and Blue Sky, I think I'm Louise Mumford. It's fairly easy. My fa- my face is there. <laughs> You'll spot me. Um, and then I've got my own website, which is louisemumfordauthor.com. And if you sign up to my newsletter, you get a free short story and I do competitions and stuff um, throughout the year and giveaways and kind of news and extracts and things. And my books are available, well, in all sorts of places. You can get them on Amazon. You can have them as audiobooks through Audible, Kindle, Kobo, Apple, all that sort of stuff. But you can also go into physical books. Um, I've got a local bookshop by me called Griffin Books in Penarth, and they're lovely, <clears throat> a lovely independent bookshop, um, or Waterstones as well. If they haven't got it in Waterstones, they can probably order it in. Excellent. It's been lovely chatting to you. It's and been lovely talking to you as well. Yeah, it would be nice. Uh, the uh, Glastonbury book sounds a lot of fun, so you never know, we might end up chatting again in the future. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm Art and Belletti. This is What the Fuck is Wrong With Us. Uh, thank you again. <laughs> thank you again, Louise. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with another show soon. Thanks, everyone. Just a reminder, if you'd like the Art of the Con free novella, go to artonboletti.com and sign up there.